0: Again, uh, before we get into the message, Lord, uh, worship is the occupation of heaven as angels and saints see you as you are, see your son. Their response is to cry out, holy, 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 throw their crowns at your feet, give you your due. We'd love to do that this morning ourselves and ask for your spirit's help in focusing on what you have to say on one hand, Lord, but then giving back to you your due in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. I wish you had known my dad, Vincent Kavanaugh-Halpin, Jr., was quite a guy uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, One of the things that's hard to forget about my father, he, maybe like many of you, he thought he was funnier than he really was. (laughs) He loved puns. Do any of you love puns? (laughs) (laughs) Like most people who love puns, he laughed the longest and the hardest (laughs) at his, right? Yeah. He did. He loved them. Uh, He also loved anecdotes. And one of the ones that I heard was this one. There was a Missouri farmer who had a mule to sell. And so on the given day when the buyer comes to his farm to pick up the mule, he takes him to his corral And he promptly picks up a two-by-four and smacks the mule between the eyes with the board. And the buyer jumps back. You imagine he's shocked, and he said, why did you do that? And he said, well, first you have to get his attention. First got to get his attention, dealing with mules and people. Uh, Can you imagine why my dad said that story to me more than (laughs) once? (laughs) Repeatedly, you know because I either didn't do what he told me to do or I didn't do it the way in which I was supposed to. Now, if you're a kid growing up and you didn't listen, you didn't pay attention well to whatever the perhaps menial task was, probably no big deal. But in bigger issues in life, if we're not paying attention or if we're paying attention to the wrong source, the wrong person, sort of the wrong influence, what's the repercussion for that look like? It's of a different sort entirely. So as we get started this morning, let me just ask you a few questions. By the way, I hope you picked up a study sheet on the way in. Uh, Just as in Sunday school class, there's things you can fill out. It's helpful as we go through. Guys, we don't want to just talk about Scripture. We don't want to just look at it together. We want it to change us. We want to take us in. We want it to change us in the ways God wants us to. And so there are places there where you can fill those out. So think about that as we go through this this morning on those areas where there's questions for you to personally consider. So what has our attention? So just generally, where's my head at? Where are my thoughts at? And specifically, where am I putting my attention such that I am being influenced? Because guys, we're all being influenced. Whether we know it in the moment or not, all of us are being influenced. Who or what is our primary influence? What source is filling our minds, our thoughts, our imaginations? You know, what what is influencing our affections? To whom and to what do we give our attention such that our beliefs, our actions, our opinions, and our judgments are formed? And of course, as they are, the course of our life is set as well. So who or what has our attention? This is the first in God willing, six messages in a new series, short series just through the end of the year, called God's Do. And by this, God's is possessive and do is D-U-E. So what do we owe God? Because God is God, what do we owe Him? Now you might have a different list than I have. I'm going to talk about six different things. Starting this morning with God is due our attention, our focus. And specifically, we'll look at that this morning through the lens of Scripture, that God reveals Himself to us, God meets with us. We give God His due when we meet with Him in His Word. Uh, We're going to look at God's due, is reverence from Psalm 90. That's Moses' psalm, one of my favorites all time. On Thanksgiving weekend, we'll look at Psalm 107. If you need a reason to be thankful, read Psalm 107. It talks about the variety of peoples on earth and why each of the folks in those groups should give thanks When we get into December, two messages on the incarnation stories that bring up the fact that God is due our trust, whether we say confidence, trust, faith, God is due our faith. We see that specifically in Christ. Also, worship, the same thing, God is due our worship. We'll see that in the birth narratives as well. And then we'll close out the series, the last uh, in December would be on hope. God is due, God deserves our hopes, that is our hopes We don't simply establish what those are for ourselves and our future. God does. God is due our hopes as well. This morning, we're going to look at who and what is getting our attention. So does God have my attention primarily? All of us are a little uh, skittish, right? Our minds might go a hundred places. If I'm talking to you now, I'll forget ten things I meant to say because my mind's all over the place. But in the formative way, when I say where generally are my thoughts being focused, Who or what am I giving attention to generally so that that's influencing me, whether I realize it in the moment or not? And I'm going to have a fairly lengthy introduction. I want to make the case negatively before I make the case positively. So I ask for your patience on that. We'll end up in Jeremiah 23. Um, I think this is my, I'm giving you some of my opinions here. Um, So take them for what they're worth, I guess. Uh, One of my opinions is this. I think we tend to underestimate the degree to which we are influenced by people, places, venues, platforms that we give our attention to. I think we underestimate the degree to which we are being influenced and affected. It's kind of like we go someplace and we take it all in and we say, but I'm unaffected. And I just don't believe that. I I don't think we generally are as careful as we'd like to believe. So on the things I watch, the things I hear, et cetera, I think we're taking in influences in ways we underestimate. 2,600 years ago during the life of Jeremiah the prophet, this was certainly going on in Israel or in Judah, the southern kingdom. Israel had already been taken captive. But in his day, like ours, there's all these voices. And guys, some of them are sacred in his day. They're religious Jews, just like in our day, people within the church are saying things, having influences that aren't from God. That was true in Jeremiah's day. It's true today. And then secular, there's also folks that aren't claiming in Jeremiah's day to follow Yahweh. In fact, quite the opposite. Just like in our day, there are people that don't claim necessarily a particular faith or tradition. Those have influences in your life and mine as well, just as they did in his. In Jeremiah's day, there were foreigners as well as Jews that were advocating for the worship of idols. Remember that Israel's unique in its day and Jews were unique through their history. Think of the ancient world as far as worshiping one God. Nobody worshiped one God. Everybody had multitudes of gods they worshiped. So foreigners and Jews are advocating to worship particular idols from the nations around Israel, Jeremiah's day. Guys, there were a lot of professing Jews in Jeremiah's day that said were Abraham's heirs but didn't live like it. They went to temple or they went to synagogue but you wouldn't have known that Monday through Sabbath, right? You wouldn't have seen it. And there were numerous prophets. This is inside the church, so to speak. This is in the temple. These are religious leaders, priests and prophets that were advocating what people should believe. And they were not speaking for God. They did not have God's word. That's what you'll see in spades in the text that we'll look at here in just a minute. And then to close out as well, Listen to this from Jeremiah 7. If you have your Bible, Jeremiah is the place to hang. I'm going to make a reference from chapter 7, and then we'll develop a case and and go to chapter 23. But in Jeremiah 7, listen to what God says. He says, this command I gave them. So he's speaking to his people here. This is what I told them. Obey my voice. Pay attention to what I say. Obey my voice, God says, and I'll be your God and you'll be my people walk in the way that I command you not someone else not some other voice that I command you that it may be well with you and then this is God's assessment so that was his command this is his assessment but they did not obey or incline their ear they didn't pay any attention you know incline your ear I lean in to listen to you better because you've got my attention he says nope. they didn't incline their ear They weren't listening to me But they walked in their own counsels, their own counsels. And guys, I think that's what's going on in our contemporary culture today. I think so many of us, in and out of the church, it's our own counsels. It's our opinions and my opinion and your opinion. Instead of leaving, God says, the stubbornness of their evil hearts. Same danger we face today, giving our attention to the opinion and counsel of others in the church and outside the church and not paying attention to God and what he has said. Now to bolster my case, my claim, my opinion, I'll just give you some facts. These are on your study sheet too. By the way, before I start this, um, this is my caveat. I am not opposed to stuff. I'm not opposed to technology. If it's it's, uh, internet, if it's social media platform, if it's television, If it's music, if it's movies, I'm good with all of it. I have nothing against things that we can use. Things are things. They're amoral. It's what we do with them that counts. So I'm giving you examples that I believe are formative in and out of the church today that are shaping the way we see life, things that we're giving our attention to instead of to God. Social media, just a couple of the facts, Guys, the world population is just under 8 billion people. That's our best guess right now. And about 4 billion people have active social media platforms today. Almost half the population. Now think of it this way. Take all the young people out. Take all the, too young, too old, and in places where they don't have social media platforms, that 50% is probably 70%. In the States, it's 80 percent, 13 and older are on regularly, this is regular, on social media platforms. Do you think social media platforms are affecting the culture and what people think and what people believe? And I wonder how much of that is negative and not positive. Social media titans have been called before Congress repeatedly. Why is that? Because they're not neutral platforms. Because the guys running those have agendas. And I've recommended I'll rec- recommend it again. If you haven't seen the Netflix documentary Social Dilemma, you need to see it. It's just a documentary. It's an interview with the architects and the engineers who put social media platforms together. And they tell you why they don't use it and they don't let their kids use it. Those algorithms, and these are smart people putting these together, they're determining what you will and will not see, and who you will hear and who you will not hear. And it's not this venue where you just go in and you're directing. Excuse me. It's not neutral at all. But we tend to think it is, and so I I travel freely, not really aware that er I'm a mouse in a maze, guys, and I am being guided on social media. In fact, in my view, Mike's opinion again, this isn't scripture, I think social media is the biggest influence in the world today. Not just the states, but in the world today. Bigger than religions, bigger than politics generally, that the social media platforms themselves are the shapers and the movers in the world today. There's blogs and podcasts, this is online too, 500 million blog sites, that's about a third of the websites in the world, two million blog posts a day, a million and a half podcasts. And guys, you know, the beauty of social media is that everyone's an expert on social media. Did you know that? Everyone's an expert. I love that. There's one meeting where you can go and everyone is an expert, or are they? You know, no matter how much or how little they know, it sounds like that. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld uh, was in federal government for decades. He started as a congressman. He was in several administrations. He was Secretary of Defense at one point. He's hailed by some and absolutely hated by others. But I read his biography several years ago. The title of the biography is this, Unknown and Known. Now, they took a lot of heat back in the day after 9-11 for going into Iraq looking for weapons of mass destruction. And it was in the context of what they knew and didn't know that Rumsfeld made this comment. This was in a press release, and it was also in his book, he said this, and remember, he's in an information business, right? You're the Secretary of Defense. We want to know what's going on in the world. He said this, there are things we know we know. There's statistics, there's facts that we know we know. He said, we also know there are known unknowns. We, we know that something's going on, but we don't know the particulars. We don't know the specifics. So we, we know there's something, we just don't know all about it. We know we don't know things about this. But then he says there are also unknown unknowns. There are unknown unknowns, the ones we don't know, we don't know. And guys, this is my take. Uh, I think there's a lot of people influencing our thoughts that don't know what they don't know. I don't know if this was true for any of you as a new Christian, you'd get invited to Bible studies and it was a Bible study of new Christians led by new Christians. (laughs) Why why do you laugh? You were in one, (laughs) you were in one or two. And you know what we came to call those pooled ignorance pooled ignorance, not quite the blind leading the blind, but it's like, and have you ever, maybe maybe you talk to your child, maybe this happens, you're an adult, you know some things, you know what you know, you know what you don't know, and you might have a discussion with your child, and you know your child, all he's got is he doesn't know what he doesn't know, right, you interact with him, he's sure of a great many things, he's ready to argue, right, and you listen to it, and you're like, you poor thing, you don't know what you don't know, You know, you're not even in the ballpark. That goes on on social media all the time, pooled ignorance. Social media platforms, we call them peer-to-peer. You know, it's peer-to-peer. What we want, we don't want horizontal primarily. We want vertical primarily. I don't want you to instruct me out of your opinions and wisdom. I want God to instruct me out of his eternal wisdom, out of his omniscience. That's what we're after. So social, the social dilemma, I would strongly recommend. And then, I hope this doesn't sound hypocritical, but I would also recommend a piece I wrote on Applied Heart, Who's Influencing You? It's a blog. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, I don't hate mediums or things. It's how we use them, right? It's how we use them. It's possible, this is my take, it's possible to be in the social media world, but not of it. It's possible. Some people do this for a living. I'm in the social media world, but I'm not of it. I just don't believe that most of us practice the level of discernment regularly enough not to be negatively influenced because we're giving our attention to social media platforms. And I want to say too, guys, this is going on within the church. You know, if you've been at Lionel M very long, you know the teachers here will tell you, we encourage you you check out what we teach to Scripture. Scripture is the touchstone. It's the thing that matters. If you, if you heard something here and you thought, that's unbiblical, that's not supported in Scripture, I hope you'd tell us. We would want to hear that. We would, we would be glad to be challenged that way. That would be all for the good. In the church, and by the church, guys, I mean the people that we would say we rub shoulders with, evangelicals. Bible type churches. I'm not talking about old line denominations that are dying, right? I'm talking about churches that would look and sound a lot like Lion and Lamb. Uh, prominent teachers today in the church teach that Genesis 1 through 11 is not historic narrative. Genesis 1 through 11, as an exception in the Bible is an, and as an exception in the rest of Genesis, is not historic narrative. There's problems with that. Now, these are leading lights in the evangelical world. These are not backwater guys. This is John Walton of Wheaton. This is Jack Collins of Covenant Seminary. If you have an ESV Bible, Jack Collins is the Old Testament editor of that Bible. These are not backwater guys. This is Timothy Keller, beloved teacher from Redeemer Church in New York, former senior pastor there, him as well. This is what those guys say, all all three of these and others. These would be guys you'd likely see their books in the bookstore today. They say that we, the world as we know it, is the product of evolutionary processes. So they're they're straight evolutionists at that level. They all will say this too. We believe in a literal Adam and Eve. You're like, oh, okay, well, how does that fit? You have to qualify because I've heard these guys in person. I've listened to the q and A. I've read their, their pieces. So usually what they say is this, the three of them. Um, Adam and Eve is a hominid couple that evolved over time that God then pulled out of the hominid lines and made them Adam and Eve. And in fact, if you read Jack Collins' pieces, he says there might be a thousand Adam and Eves. Might be thousands. So we believe in a literal Adam and Eve, but they're not Adam and Eve as you and I would understand it. Now, these guys know that's problematic, not just for Genesis 1 through 11. Who quotes Genesis 1 through 11? Jesus, Peter, Paul. No universal flood. None of these guys believe in a universal flood either. These are prominent voices in the evangelical church, and this is what they're saying. Guys, These are Christian believers that believe the gospel. But Mike's opinion is they're sowing the seeds of the destruction of the faith they hold dear with their teachings out of Genesis. Because once you say this doesn't mean what it says, and it is narrative, and I'll just tell you, you can read lots of great articles that show you the literary structure in Genesis. It doesn't start in 12, it starts in 1. And the genealogies, the Toledoths, they're called, these ten hooks that everything hangs together with in Genesis, they don't start at chapter 12. They're already going. They're already rolling through. But the effect of prominent voices like this means people are going to write off what Jesus said, what Peter said, and what Paul said. That's inside the church. Uh, Many evangelicals, young evangelicals particularly, are living together before marriage. And you say, and I cringe and, and we've seen this. This is not there's surveys on this as well. I won't go into those. But you're like, what's changed? They profess faith in Christ and they're practicing what the Bible calls sexual immorality. There's no question about this. No question. So, wh- who are you, so you see where this goes. Who are you paying attention to? What source is informing you to say that's okay? It's not God and it's not God's word. You're paying attention to something other than God and his word. Can't be otherwise. And also last, just on this, are we depressed yet on the negatives yet? (laughs) The prosperity gospel, uh, Jesus said in John 10, I came that they might have life and might have it in abundance, and I'm good with that. But there's a message, there's a version of the gospel that says, God has promised you through Jesus' death and resurrection Material prosperity, health, and wealth. And when you push that message, what do you do with Acts 14? Through many trials and difficulties, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Friends, what do you say to the believers all over the world, faithful believers, God loves just like he loves them like us, and they're persecuted, and they're murdered, and they're displaced, and you name it. They live in poverty, What? Did they get something wrong? Who are we taking our cues from? It's a little bit in my mind, many of you aren't old enough to remember this, but when you had the county fairs when I was a kid, you still had the hucksters and the guys outside step right up, step right up. You know, you got all these voices appealing to you to step up, pay attention to them, buy essentially what they're selling. And it's hard. In fact, inarguably, there's not been a time in history in which any individual or any group is being assailed by more forces, more voices, more opinions than you and I are today, just because of technology. I mean, it's it's an incredible time to live positively for a number of reasons, and also the plethora of options on communicating also is positive as far as the gospel going out. It's just that I think the gospel message going out is being um, minimized, perhaps. It's hard to see it, perhaps. Hard to hear it, perhaps. Among all the other voices going out. We are being affected by the voices surrounding us. And sometimes, guys, we need a veritable two-by-four between the eyes to get our attention. You know, the question for us is, are we asleep? Are we spiritually asleep? I had an older brother who had a job. He had to be at work at 7.30 in the morning. He was a heavy sleeper. And that's understatement. So my mom, I lived in a three-story house. You know, when it's time to get up in the morning, mom yells up the back stairs, you know, kids get up. She's making breakfast. Thank God mom's making breakfast. Get up. So, you know, we come up. We come down. We're ready to go to breakfast. And Joe's gotta get to work, she yells at Joe, no response. She goes up, she shakes Joe, no response. No kidding, she resorts to pans of water in the face to wake him up, because he's asleep, and he can't wake up, and he can't even hear her. And a lot of us, I think, are spiritually asleep, related to our discernment, we're asleep. We don't know what we're taking in and what we're not taking in. There's a phrase, you've probably heard it, death by a thousand cuts, have you ever heard the phrase? It was practiced in China. I think it might have been practiced by some of the Native Americans as well. Death by a thousand cuts is execution. It's just on a slow train. And what they would do is they would secure the victim and then people would just go up through the day and they'd just slice the person. Now, you know, you could survive a cut or maybe 10 cuts. But if you're in a village... And people are just walking by whenever they feel like it, and they're just slicing you. That's what they did. So you can imagine, it usually took days, and they would eventually bleed out. It was not a single cut that did it. It it was not one sword stroke. It was literally tens or dozens or hundreds of little cuts, and that's how the person died. And I think spiritually, a lot of us are dying death by a thousand cuts. It's just related to the information we're taking in. It's not, we don't believe one big lie in a day. It's just this slow influence that's cumulative over time. We need God's help to pay attention to God's word to escape the spirit and wisdom of our age. It's by paying attention to God through his word, we can counter false claims. Listen to Psalm 138 thirty-eight two. This should be instructive or helpful for us as far as where we place our attention. It says, you have exalted, so the psalm is speaking to God. You have exalted above all things your name. Remember, God's name always reflects God. Your name and your word. God exalts above all things himself and his word. Who and what should get our attention? God and God's word should get our attention. So the key question for any of us is this. Am I paying attention to God Am I taking in what he says? Does God and God's word have my attention or am I taking my cues from someplace else? Uh, There's a place on your study sheet, I think it's the bottom of page one, just an invitation. I did this for myself. You can do it real quickly too. Just add up, do a little arithmetic. How much time do you think you spend in direct or semi-direct influence related to I'm giving God my attention and God's word? So. Think about, I'm, I'm in the Word each morning, I'm praying, I'm in fellowship, I'm listening to worship music, I'm personally worshiping, I'm gathering with other saints in small groups, I'm Sunday morning, I'm worshiping, you know what I'm... Add that up. It's easy, just add it up. What do you think that looks like in a week? So I would guess, just as a guess, you know, maybe we have 10 hours a week, maybe 12. If you look at the average stats on how much people are online and watching TV, it's tens of hours, it's dozens of hours per week. You can do the same thing for yourself, figure that out. Just on the weight of time, do we really think we're not being influenced by all those other voices we're paying attention to, that we're taking in? If God, even if we've got 10 hours a week with God, and I've got 50 hours a week on social media and you name it, do I really think that's not affecting me? I've got that much attention in those directions. It's got to affect us just based on the time itself. Well, in Jeremiah 23, you can turn there now if you hadn't. Uh, God indicts, as much of Jeremiah does, of course. um, You know, Jeremiah, he sees the last hurrah for Judah. You know, under good King Josiah, short-lived, and the nation just winds down to captivity. And Jeremiah sees all of that. And Jeremiah... You know, his message basically is, guys, you're going down. Uh, There's no turning back. You're going down. So he's speaking messages of judgment because of all the things the nation hadn't done. They hadn't given God their focus or his word. Listen to this. Verses 1 through 4, I'll just highlight. God rebukes what he calls the shepherds. The kings of Israel were called shepherds. Rulers in the ancient world were called shepherds, shepherds of their people. The king, the political classes, if you will. In Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah, God says through Jeremiah, you guys are lousy shepherds, and instead of bringing my sheep in, my people, you're pushing them away. You're scattering them. Now positively, if you keep reading in this, you'll see that there's a prophetic promise of God sending the branch. Jesus, His Messiah would be the shepherd that would regather Israel's sheep. But the current political leadership in Jeremiah's day, God says, you're scattering my people. You're not doing what shepherds are meant to. You're not pulling them into me and my things. Get to verse 11. And this actually goes through the end of the chapter through verse 40. And guys, I'm hop skipping and jumping through this for time's sake and just to make the key points. Uh, God reproved the prophets and the priests. So he gives a little bit of time to the political groups. But then he goes to the people who are more responsible. The prophets and the priests. And this is what he says. Verse 11. Both the prophet and the priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Verse 14. In the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. Now remember, God's holy, and for the Jews, there was that whole understanding that as I approach God, I must be holy also. Bill taught a few weeks ago on uh, the First Peter charge, be holy for I'm holy. Well, that was Israel's law. That was straight out of the law of Moses. Be holy, God says, for I'm holy. And the effect of these guys is it's personal sin, and then it's the encouragement of sin in other people. They're turning no one around. You know, it's become common practice in Christian circles, and again, in churches not unlike ours, to confuse lovingly interacting with people who don't know Christ, who are living lives that Scripture would only call lives of sin, and accepting and and stamping verified or acceptable on their particular sins. There's confusion for Christians. I was talking, met, a, met an older gentleman last week in Kansas City. And he's clearly, he's a lovely Christian man. But I knew as we're talking, we're not on the same page on something. And so, in the midst of that conversation, he said, I have three brothers that are pastors. And I asked them, if same-sex couples, homosexuals, transgenders, came to your church, he said, would you kick them out? Or would you welcome them in, preach the gospel? And I said, yeah, I'm right there with you. Bring them in, they need the gospel. That's Everything. And I'd just been meditating in John 8. And I said, you know, Jesus doesn't throw stones. And his response, and I knew this was where he was coming from, genuinely, thoughtfully, he said, well, a lot of people are carrying a lot of stones. And I thought, yeah, I I get it. But Jesus tells her, go and sin no more. And in Jeremiah's day, they're not hearing any of that. And guys, in our day, in many of the churches, that's not being said either. Of course we want to share the gospel of those that don't know Christ. That's the only hope any of us have. We've heard it. We believe. We want to share it with others. Absolutely. But we also want to say to those who believe, and God wants you to come out of those sins and lifestyles. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about that. Ephesians talks about that. Your life used to look like this. And God's called you up. That was, should have been going on in Jeremiah's day. It was not. In many places, it's not going on in our day either. Verse 16, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, Don't listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. No problem. You have a different Savior, a different view of God, of life, of morality. No problem. We're all okay. You're okay. I'm okay. It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. And this is in the age where God's true spokesman, Jeremiah, is telling them judgment is coming. And you can't escape it. It's just a question of when. Verse 21, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. So these guys are speaking, but they're not from me, God says. Verse 26, how long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies, who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? What they're sharing with others is it's not God's word, it's the deceit from their own heart who think to make my people forget my name, God holds above all things, his name and his word, to make my people forget my name by their dreams, they tell one another. God says, verse 32, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams. They do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. If you're in the text, if you're still following, skip back to verses 18 and 22. God says this about that group of people. He says, who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word, or who has paid attention to his word and listened? He basically says, these guys are not from me. They haven't been in my counsel, and they're not giving you my word. Same thing in verse 22. If they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. They would proclaim my words to my people. They would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. And guys, we live in a day so much like Jeremiah's. So, basically to wind down, go to verse 28. So you got all these negatives, right? you got all these voices in Jeremiah's day and our own. you got voices within the church and without, that God says, don't pay attention to them. They don't represent me. They don't represent my word. Go though to verse 28. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. Go ahead, God says, tell your dream. It's not for me, but go ahead and tell it. He says, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. So against the tide of everyone else in Judah, he says, if you have my word, just speak my word faithfully. Just give others my word faithfully. And then listen to how he compares his word, God's word, versus what they were getting otherwise. He says, what has straw in common with wheat? Guys, if you came to my house for a meal and I heaped some straw on your plate and maybe put some sugar on it or something. Maybe that's a breakfast cereal already though. <laughs> I don't know, is it? <laughs> a little sugar on it. And you <laughs> and you ate it. Now you could eat it. You could chew it up. You could swallow it. It would fill your belly. You'd feel full. Would it help you? Probably hurt you, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm just guessing. I've never done this and I'm not encouraging it. It'd fill you up. You could eat it. You could consume it, but it wouldn't nourish you, and it would probably hurt you. So God says, it's like this. The stuff you're hearing, it's straw. He said, but my word, it's, it's wheat. Now, and put that in perspective for the Jews. It's bread. Guys, you know, back in those days, as a matter of fact, wheat versus barley, wheat was the good bread. But you know, it's the stuff of life. If you've got wheat, you can live. It will will nourish your body. You remember Jesus trades on this, you know, the, the imagery, the visions on this stuff is rich throughout Scripture, right? God gives them bread from heaven. He gives them manna. Jesus comes later and says, you know, you ate the bread, the manna, but God gives you me. I'm the real bread, the bread of life. Well, that's the thought with God's word. God's word is sustaining, it's nourishing. You'll not only fill it up fill up with it, eat it and consume it and find it's delicious. It'll nourish you. It's good for you. Then he says in verse 29, "Is not my word like fire," declares the Lord. God's word inherently has power. And fire is a constant theme or image used for God himself and God's judgment throughout the Bible. So Moses at the bush, God's a fire. Moses at Sinai with Israel, God's a fire. Malachi ends in Malachi 3 and 4 with the image of God judging by fire. When the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, it's fire. And what you find is God's fire is not only destructive in judgment, but God's fire is purifying. So if you pull ore out of the earth and you want to get gold or silver, what do you do? You put it in the fire. And it separates. And God's Word in Jeremiah's day, or yours and mine, It reveals our sin, it purifies, it has power to purify our lives, to call us up, unlike the stuff they were hearing in their day or many Christians are hearing in churches today. And last he says, is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Now this sounds destructive, but in their day and ours, some destruction was needed about lies god's word is a hammer god you can take god's word to lies and opinions and claims and you can smash them and in fact that that's the imagery paul gives in second corinthians 10 when he says ideas and remember online or what we're taking from others what we're giving our attention to are opinions and teachings doctrines dogmas Paul says that we're pulling down strongholds. Strongholds are teachings, concepts, opinions. We're pulling them down. We're taking the hammer of God's word, the truth, and we're knocking those towers of untruth down. God's word is powerful, whether you think of it as fire or as a hammer. God means us to pay attention to him. We do that primarily by paying attention to his word. Psalm 119.9 is a reference on your study sheet, I believe. So are we giving God his due by giving him our attention and primarily in his word? And I want to make sure I include this. As we pay attention to God and as we meet him in his word, we will always find Christ. That God's word leads us to God's son. And when we talk about giving God our attention, particularly since the Incarnation, we're talking about meeting God by His Spirit through the person of His Son, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember how John identifies and introduces Jesus, unlike the Synoptic Gospels, John says the Word has come. God's Word incarnate has come. When we're in God's Word, the book, we're meant to find God's Word, the Son, the fullest expression of God Himself. You can see that also in Hebrews one, the opening verses there. Jesus is the consummation of God's word. When we give attention to Jesus, we're giving attention to God. We're giving God his due. I was uh, in a library, uh, excuse me, a bookstore the other night, and uh, I saw all these books on fasting. Phys- you know, f- fasting from food. You know what I did, Mark? I walked right on by. I didn't even pay any attention. I don't need that. There's all kinds, there's all kinds of claims today. There was a bunch of books. On, fa- on the health benefits of fasting. H- how about trying this? How about for a day or a week or a month or scatter it out? Uh, uh, take a, take a, 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 a fast from the options I have to give my attention to. You can't do this on everything. I get, I'm not saying that. Take a fast from The discretionary use of my time when instead of maybe hitting Facebook, I just would open my Bible and read. Or whatever it is. The magazine, you know, for me it's the Wall Street Journal. I'm faithful every morning. I read God's Word and I read the Wall Street Journal. (laughs) I could give up the Wall Street Journal. You see what I'm saying though. Uh, Take a fast from the voices and the opinions that are routinely coming into our mind and when we do, consciously just say, I'm just going to spend a little time with the Lord in His Word. And guys, what you'll find is your thoughts will always be changed. God's Word is living, it's alive, it's active. It's a fire, it's bread, it's a hammer, it changes you. You can't get into God's Word and be unchanged. Just try that and see how God shapes your thinking and your opinions and what, how He challenges you or how He encourages you or reinforces things you already felt like you were hearing about. I will tell you the truth. Uh, I did not want to teach from this passage. And, uh, you know, I always pray about what to teach. And, it's, and some of you pray for me too, which I really appreciate. It's like, Lord, what do you want me to teach? from? And this passage came up three times. And it's like, okay, Lord, I, I hear you. Don't want to teach on it, but I'm, I'm glad to. Is, God has gone to great lengths to provide and protect his word It's incumbent on us to pay attention to God by paying attention to His Word. Can we stand and uh, can we read together? If you guys can pull that up there. This is from Deuteronomy 13, and, and it's so, you know, it's part of the Torah, part of the law that might have been in Jeremiah's mind as he was sharing some of the things. Yeah, worship team needs to come on up. Let's read that together, okay? If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him.